Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Yeah, Father God, we um, just thank you for the sense of your presence here with us this morning. God, we thank you that you want to continue to minister and move in the age of our hearts this morning. We thank you for Paul. God, we thank you for the man of God that he is. We thank you for the journey that you've had him on. We thank you for his ministry, for his leadership. We thank you for his partnership with us and friendship with us, God. And um, we just thank you for the preparation that he's put in for this morning. We, God, we thank you that he is a, a, a anointed Lord God. And we just pray for a fresh anointing to come on him right now. That the Holy Spirit would flow through him as he speaks. That every word that he says would come from the Father. I pray that you would guide and lead him this morning, Holy Spirit, as he shares. And as we open up the word, Lord God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and active and still speaks today. We pray that you would train us in righteousness as we read it, that you would correct and rebuke us, that you would inspire us and challenge us, that you would nourish our souls, that you bring life to our bodies. So just come and speak now, God. Give us ears to hear what it is that you're saying. We open up our hearts to receive your word afresh this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bless you, Paul. What am I doing? Oh, there we go. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm covered in Phil's anointing right now because I have the Phil mic. But the problem is he has about 15 years of ear growth on me. So it'll ho- he has about 100 years of wisdom on me and about 15 years of ear growth. So hopefully it'll, uh, oh, you jumped me. That's okay. Take that off the screen. Nobody saw that. That's all right. Didn't see it. Um, It is so good to be with you here this morning. Um, It's been amazing over, I've been sort of, I'm Canadian, long story, don't need to go into it. I'm back in Northern Ireland for about five years, and we've been part of Tabar, the Tabar family for that time, and we at Grace Fellowship have been so blessed by being part of this family. Um, and I actually want to honor you guys for that as well, because your generosity and your resources release your guys and girls to us, Tash and Phil and Al and Rick and Dave and Robbie and Lenny, even one of my, one of my trustees, we just call him Lenny for some advice today. And that's, that's a gift to other churches, and I, and I pray we can be that to other churches as well, so I, I want to honor you guys for that. Um, but I want to start with a bit of, sorry, this is dangling around, but I'm useless with a mic. I can't hold my hand still. (laughs) I want to start with a bit of Bible trivia this morning, and I know, like myself, some of you guys here have brethren roots, so you should, this should be bang on. Um, Here's a question, and I actually want you to answer it. It's not rhetorical. Who saved the Israelites from the Philistines? It's not a trick. 
Who saved the Israelites from the Philistines? Anyone give me a, give me a, give me a name? David. David. Boom. In one. I was waiting for the Sunday school answer. Jesus? The Lord? Yes, yes. David. Okay. So we all know the story of David, right? We all know the heroic and faith-filled story of David for a good reason. It's a phenomenal story, and it's worthy to be retold. But I actually want to tell us a different part of that story this morning. Because I, I think, I believe there's a sub-character in this story. This is maybe slightly heretical. But that in some ways better and more beautifully points us. This is floating around in my head. That better and more beautifully points us to Jesus than even David. And that's Jonathan his best friend, and, and I want to talk to you about Jonathan, but we're going to get to that in a second. So I want to, I want to start this and intro the story of Jonathan by giving us a bit of modern cultural context for us. So, so here it is, and I might offend somebody here, um, but there's an expression in Northern Ireland, and I don't think it's totally unique. You've already seen it, but pretend you didn't. I don't think it's totally unique to Northern Ireland. I'm sure other cultures have some version of it. Canadians don't. Um, but this expression, like, irks me to my soul. It, whenever I hear people say that, say it, it just drives. And, and you've probably said it, and I've probably said it, and we've seen it. Stick it back up there. It's well for some. You've said it, haven't you? Your friend, yeah, it's well for some. You're going on holiday? Well, for some. New pair of shoes? Well, for... Oh! Absolutely drives me crazy. So, from now on, if you ever hear yourself saying this statement, I want you to imagine me rolling my eyes as far back in my head as I possibly could, and I want you to feel the guilt and shame of that. Okay? It's well for some. <laughs> So I, I also want to tell you an exact opposite story that summarizes an opposite point to that. And this is all context. There's a guy I know, and some of you know as well, um, Paul Kizik. Put up your hand if you know Paul Kizik. He's a good Lurgan boy. There's about seven of us who know him. And his wife, Erin, are good friends of ours. And my wife and I uh, moved into a new home about three years ago. And it's an old stone house in the country, and it's a great, we love it, and it's a long story how we possibly live in a house like this. I never imagined I live in a house like this. But when you move into a new home, and if it's big, and if it has a bit of a land, and we have a beautiful view of the morns and sleeve crew and stuff, you get people coming and go, big house, well, for some. <laughs> nice view, well, for some. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. And, you know, lots of people were great with it. But Paul Kizik came one day, and I'll probably embarrass him by this, but rightly embarrass him. Paul and Aaron came over to our house. It was the first time. And Paul's culture. He's as country as they come. And we live in a country house. And as he was walking around, he was walking around showing, you know, some of the outbuildings and views and in the house, and he just kept on going, this place is beautiful. Health to enjoy. He said, you know, turn a corner to an outbuilding. Oh. I love this. I'd love to have space like that. Health to enjoy. Remember, he came in our, in our kitchen, and we have these, like, old farmhouse stone tiles on the floor. 
And for some reason, that caught his eye. And he just looked down. Oh, I love it. I love it. He said, health to enjoy. And I remember you hear that so seldom. It actually surprised us in a beautiful way. And my wife said to Paul, she said, Paul, you know, people come over. No one's been mean, but, you know, you get the well for some comments. And she said, it's as if it's a competition, but you're so different. And Paul's response was beautiful. He said, it can't be a competition with me because I want you to win. How good is that? It can't be a competition with me because I want, I want you to win. Remember that next time it's well for some comes out of your mouth. <laughs> so what does this have to do with the story of Jonathan? Something. <laughs> Jonathan was the son of Saul. And he was the be- he'd become the best friend of David. His story is told between 1 Samuel 14 and 23. And the example Jonathan sets us and the way he responds to David's success and David's blessing was incredibly countercultural. It was incredible. It was beautiful. And it would have totally stood out in first century Israel. And I believe it's equally countercultural and important today. So, what's the story of Jonathan? Well, the background of the story is this. Sorry, I'm, this is floating around. Don't mind it. Jonathan is the first son to the first king of Israel. He is the heir to all of what the Israelites have been longing for for a thousand years. The Israelites were finally a people that were a kingdom. This is what was promised to them. And like other nations around them, although this is kind of a long story, a long side story as well, they actually have a king. They finally have a kingdom, and they finally have a king. And Jonathan is the heir to that throne. What an incredible place to be. What an honored place to sit in. But it's better than that. Because Jonathan isn't just the heir to the throne because biologically he's Saul's son. He's also an amazing rightful heir to the throne because of his faith and because of his courage and because of his attitude. And and I want to tell you a bit of this story. Because before we meet Jonathan, we enter the story at the, at the very beginning of the kingdom of Israel. And I said, they're, they're just a kingdom. They've been waiting for this for a thousand years. But although they're a kingdom, they have almost no power and almost no freedom. That's how they started. You go back into the Bible and to Samuel. Because of their long, the story of the Israelites is like this. Good, bad, horrible, good. But, you know, they just forget, 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 succeed, forget because of their long-term arrogance and disobedience to God's law, to God's law that was given them to be a beautiful salt and a beautiful light into the world, they were a brand new kingdom, but they didn't have an army. They, They had men, but they had no weapons. The only two people in the entire nation of Israel that had weapons were Saul and Jonathan. Do you know this part of the story? They had swords, they had shields, they had weapons, but everyone else, what, had scythes or or plows or 
pitchforks or... So they were a kingdom and they had an army, but they weren't much of an army. So even as the nation of Israel started, they were in trouble. But who was the first person to rise faithfully to the occasion to defeat the Israelites in the name and with faith in God alone? Was it Saul, Jonathan's father? Nope. Was it David? That's the story we all know, right? No. It was Jonathan. Listen to this. It's going to come up on the screen, but, it, but it's narrative. So even close your eyes and just picture this story. This is 1 Samuel 14, starting at verse 1. One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost. Remember, no one had swords other than Jonathan. Over to the Philistine outpost on the other side, but he did not tell his father. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of these uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord by sa from saving, whether by many or by few. I love that faith. What does his armor bearer say? Do all that you have in mind. Go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. So Jonathan said, come on then. We'll cross towards them and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there and we'll come to you, we will stay where we are and not go to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So, both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us and we will teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into our hands, into the hands of Israel. So Jonathan climbed up this steep cliff using his hands and feet. There's an army at the top, and Jonathan is climbing up with one guy behind him, totally exposed, with his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines, and the Philistines fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about half an acre. Then panic struck the whole army. Those in the camp and field and those in the outposts and raiding parties and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. What an amazing story of faith and courage. And this led to the Israelites' first defeat of the Philistines. And this led to many more military victories. And as you read this, you think, what a start for the son of a king. Israel is in phenomenal hands right now. That's the guy who's going to be the heir to our throne. But... But not long after that, Saul, or Jonathan's father, Saul, directly disobeyed a command from the prophet Samuel, from God, and that's a long story we don't have time to go into today. But 
because again of his pride and disobedience. The prophet Samuel, just as they're getting started, told Saul that God was rejecting him as king and that another family was going to sit on the throne next. Jonathan would not sit on the throne. So what happens next? What happens next in the story of any other kingdom on the face of the earth is bloodshed. What happens next is Saul and Jonathan go on a killing spree trying to take out probably Samuel first so that the prophecy will be forgotten and then anyone who looks like competition, anyone who looks like they could get in the throne. What happens next in every nation before and since is bloodshed. That's how earthly kingdoms work. And that's how Saul was going to act very soon. But it's not how Jonathan responded. A little while later, as was norm for the history of Israel, they find themselves underdogs again because of Saul's arrogance. But this time, it wasn't Jonathan that stood up in great faith and courage. It was a young man, shepherd boy, poet, songwriter from Bethlehem. And he stood up in the name of God and, and basically repeated what we just saw Jonathan do a couple chapters earlier. But this time, he did it in front of the whole army of Israel. So we have these two incredible stories of faith. But remember, between it, Jonathan's dad just got this message, this prophecy, that the throne will not be yours. Jonathan, the throne will not be yours. And then in the wake, we have this young guy step up with courage and faith that looks like he could lead our nation. We don't know at this point whether or not Jonathan and Saul knew whether David was anointed. We don't know. They definitely knew later, but we don't know now. But they must have had a suspicion. We know what God said, and this guy looks like a pretty key, a pretty opportune situation. So what happens in any other kingdom of the world? Jonathan would probably try to tarnish David's um, reputation first, and then maybe look, like it, look for an opportunity to knock him out. Remember David actually did this later in a, in a similar situation? That's still how politics works. That's still how business works but it's the absolute opposite to what Jonathan did. Listen to this. 1 Samuel 18, 1 to 4. After David had finished talking with Saul, this was right after he killed Goliath, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David, because he loved him as himself. 
Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and he gave it to David, along with his tunic, along with his sword, along with his bow, along with his belt. Jonathan took everything off in that moment and gave it to David. And as you read that, you think, God must have given Jonathan incredible faith, incredible perspective, incredible um, conviction that, God, your, your plan's better than mine. And did he sulk and say, David's getting all the attention that I was just getting two chapters ago? It wasn't two chapters ago, three, three months or four months ago. Did he sulk and say, why is David getting the attention that the son of the king should get? No. Jonathan recognizes that God is doing something special. He recognizes something beautiful about David, and, and he just likes David. And Jonathan takes off everything that signifies his honor and his glory, and he puts it on David. I honor you. I, I want you to win. This was an incredible and possibly unprecedented act in the history of kingdoms. And we know it shocked people because it totally shocked his dad. Put up the next picture. Listen to this from 1 Samuel 20. This is a little while later. That was a snapshot taken on the day. 1 Samuel 20, 30 to 31. This is what's expected of the son of a king. It's not going to come up. Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse and rebellious woman. It's always the mom's fault, isn't it? Don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Do you get that? Now send someone to bring him to me, for he must die. That's how the son of a king is supposed to respond. What is absolutely unexpected is for the son of a king to say, David, I see you're getting the attention. I see you're getting the honor. And I actually want to honor you more. I actually want to glorify you more. I actually want to trust God in this moment because I know and I hear and I see he's doing something that doesn't involve me and that's okay. But the problem is, as we read stories like this, that we read them and hear them all with the big picture of the Bible in mind, don't we? So we read it all with 2020 vision. Of course Jonathan did that. That was the absolute right thing to do. If I was Jonathan, I would have done that. And I'm here to tell you, no, you wouldn't. <laughs> do you do it? Stick the next picture up. Do you do it on your drive to work? You're late. There's someone trying to get in that slip road or pull off a side road. That's okay. I trust God with this moment. You before me. 
Now, I know it's more complicated than that. You have to get to work, but do you? Or what about at work? When you are working your butt off, and rightly so, you're valuable to the school, you're valuable to the company, you're valuable to your situation, but that other person's getting the attention. And maybe also rightly so. That's okay. I trust God with this moment. You before me. Or what about that friend that gets the new car or has just moved into a new house <laughs> or goes on holiday? <laughs> I took that picture earlier before I left my house. I got my wife to take it for me. <laughs> well, it's well for some, <laughs> Mr. Beckham. Or I trust you, God, with what you have given me in this moment and in this season, and I trust you with what you've given them. And you are the one who honors, and you are the one who judges. You before me, and you before me. Or a million other situations that, that I really hope the Holy Spirit is bringing to your mind right now at work at home, with your friends, on your street. Do we, can we, Holy Spirit, help us pray, God, I trust you with what you've given me, and, and I trust you with what you haven't given me, and just help me to use it to serve you and to serve others. Help me to honor you with my life, and help me to put whoever is the you in front of me before me. Jonathan had this unbelievable and faith-filled act that sets an incredible example for us that when the rubber meets the road, do we or are we willing to truly follow God's purposes, God's plan, and just trust him with the outcomes? Are we really willing to truly love and care for others before me? Because the reality is, and this is reality, to put other people before yourself is detrimental to you. It's detrimental to your future. It's detrimental to your income. It's detrimental to your place in society. It is. The world without God can only be survival of the fittest. It can't be anything else because my family has to survive and I have to get by. And yet the way of the king of kings and the creator of the universe when he walked this earth was for 33 years to put literally anyone and everyone's needs before his own. And then at the end of that whole journey to give up his life and his pain and his comfort, we know the story again and again, and to lay it down on the cross so that you can be forgiven, 
so that you can be adopted, so that you can know and love the King of kings and Lord of lords, the King of the universe, who also was the most powerful man who ever walked this earth. He epitomized you before me. And that's the call. And it's so simple and profound and difficult. And Paul summarizes it, the other Paul, the slightly more famous one, in Philippians chapter 2. Listen to this. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in his spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and one mind. And just in case we don't get it, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Nothing. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to to his own advantage. He should have, but he didn't. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. But it's more than that. And being found in appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And we know the story, but it's the beautiful story of the king. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the king and that's how he lived and his call was follow me. And we love the idea of that. Most people in our world, rightly, don't look past their own noses. They aren't looking past what they need to get by in work or in life because they have to, because no one else is looking out for them. And yet, the most powerful man that ever walked the planet laid it all down again and again and again. And then he said, follow me. Three thousand years ago, Jonathan showed us an incredible act of selflessness and trust. David, I, I honor you in this moment, even, even though I really want the honor 
And 2,000 years ago, we know our, our king blew that act away by laying it all down so that you could have life, so that you could have hope. Jesus calling on our lives in three words is you before me. How do I honor you, God, in everything I do? And, and, and how do I make sure whoever is in front of me is blessed? You know why? Because I want you to win. I want you at work, you at school, you and my family to get a glimpse, a glimpse of the King of kings and Lord of lords through my life. And that's what he did to you. I want you to win. I want you to find life. That is the call of our King. So I pray, help. Lord Jesus. Your word is simple and beautiful and life-changing and true. And we need your Holy Spirit in us in life and power if we want to be the ones who live it out. But you're worth it. You are worth it, Jesus. Help us, I pray, in your holy and awesome name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.